0: podcast conversations with David. I am your host, David Owasi, And on this podcast, we're talking to accomplished entrepreneurs and professionals across the country. We are learning about what keeps them passionate, what keeps them going. And we're also talking about some of the the lessons and insights learned along the way. Now, I'm here with my friend and someone I have a huge respect for, uh, Rena Bukhari. Uh, She's someone who was the previous uh, uh, leader of the Manitoba Liberal Party. Uh, Why don't you introduce yourself, Rena?
1: yeah hi David thanks for uh, thanks for having me uh happy new year (laughs) (laughs) um yeah my name is Rana um most people might recognize me from politics uh currently I'm a uh a business owner I'm a lawyer Uh, I practice mainly in well solely in uh, first nations um, governance aboriginal and some indigenous law but majority is aboriginal law so Uh, majority of my time is on uh, First Nations employment um, issues, as well as governance and uh, issues surrounding that. Um, Other than that, you know, I I speak uh, extensively on intersectional femininity, diversity and inclusion, um, and a lot of passion projects on the side, which are again, a lot of fun. And we'll talk about that.
0: Absolutely yeah and uh, where I want to start from Reina is uh, your career in law. I'm just very curious about your background there. What was uh, something that made you interested in going into law and pursuing law in the first place? What was that of interest to you?
1: You know what it was not my first choice ever. Um, I actually deeply wanted to be mostly because of my parents a doctor (laughs) Um, and uh, yeah so law was something that just kind of Um, you know, it presented itself um, as an option. And once I decided to do it, uh, I was older in life. I think I was about 27 or 28 uh, when I decided, so I was definitely an older student going into law. So um, yeah, and I, you know, I went to U of M. I was actively involved in uh, student politics. Uh, I did a lot of things kind of basically Uh, what I do in real life is what I do in all my professional life, right? So for me, I don't have that distinguishment between uh, who I am as a person versus what I do in my legal career, or my legal path, or my politics, or anything else I do. So uh, it just aligned with what I wanted to do, Um, you know, know, and I know everyone will always, um, you know, and it's, it's just kind of, what people say, right? Oh, I wanted to go into law to <clears throat> fix the world, and I, I wanted to, to do all of these things that I want to be that change maker. And of course, you know, a lot of us uh, do want to do that, but uh, for me, it was just, you know, um, a, uh, a flexible degree that would allow different doors to open. Uh, and law is a degree like that. So. Absolutely.
0: yeah, thanks for for that uh, that response. And there was something I wanted to pick on on your answer, the arena, and it was uh, you you and I have a little bit of a, a similar background. We are immigrant, first uh, first generation sure. immigrants. yeah. yeah. and uh, we some sometimes uh, have that pressure from my family where you know, of course education is very important, especially when you move. Uh, from a different part of the world to North America and sometimes there's that pressure to you've got to be an engineer, you have to be an accountant, you have to be a a doctor, and of course the parents and family are coming from a genuine place of care, they want the best for you, but what would your advice be for a student uh, who say you know if I'm just moved from some other part of the world to Canada and they're sort of feeling that pressure, but they are like, I want to be a musician. I want to be you know, something completely different from what the expectation of normal is. How do you handle that pressure? It seems like that's something you faced.
1: Yeah. And, and for me, it, it was different, right? Like I grew up in a very different household. And uh, I think all of my life and my career has reflected the fact that I grew up in a very different household. Um, you know, my parents and my dad, especially, was very supportive in anything I wanted to do, right? Um, their, main, their main goal is, and I think a lot of immigrant parents are thinking in their minds, okay, well, you know, we've literally sacrificed everything, you know, we don't have our family, we don't have um, our support systems, we don't have anything, and we brought this family here uh, for them to have a better life. So in their minds, what they know to be a better life are engineers, doctors, lawyers, it's guaranteed income, it's all this stuff, right? Because that's what essentially what they're saying, right? They're saying that we never want you to be homeless without shelter, without food, uh, not provide for your family. uh, And they also want that respect, right? So if I could dive into a parent um, who's, you know, kind of, Pushing their child to do that, I think what you're really talking about is that respect aspect. So for me, I think it's more about respect. I think that they know they're coming to a world that does not look like them. And they know that their education could be one of the key things that allows you to compete in a world that does not look like you. So, how does a child react to that? You know, I think you got to be really, really open and understanding and learn how to communicate, basically right? Because what they know to be the world is sometimes not the real world here, right? So I think communication and I think you have to really stand stand by your passions, right? If you choose to be a musician, be a musician, but also, you know, also figure out is that really going to be the thing that, like, what's your value system, right? Who do you want to be? What do you want to do?
0: Absolutely. Thanks for sharing that insight and I think it's a particularly interesting problem and Something I will add to that is having a game plan. So I think at the end of the day, parents are not necessarily just worried about whether you're going to make it be successful or be homeless and whatnot. They just want to see that you have a clear plan. Okay, if you want to be a doctor, or if you want to be a musician or whatever it is, okay, what's the plan? How do you want to approach this? How do you want to make money off of this? Now, what's the next step over the next year or two? And I think if you have a clear plan, because I was sort of in a similar situation like that when I decided to run my first business while being in university, in the first initial days my parents were not very, they were very like apprehensive and worried for me, I'm going to grow into debt, whatever. Uh, But I was able to show them a clear plan for how I plan to use those skills. Now, back to you, uh, Reina, Um, your focus in law is uh, on First Nations and employment and issues dealing with uh, First Nation uh, brothers and sisters. What would you say was what drew you to that particular uh, angle or that particular uh, set of uh, issues? And why were you passionate about that?
1: Um, you know what, I, I would love to be the person who says that I um, that it was something that I sought out, but I think that it to be to be completely blunt, I feel like it sought me out. Um, because when I started my law practice, when I started my law, when, when, when we started my firm or when we started our business, um, it was uh, doctors and dentists corporate. That's, that's what I, that may very well still be on my website, but that's what it it was. It was doctors, dentists, corporate, um, and, and, and it changed naturally. Uh, And I think just for people listening, right. So, uh, is that you have to be able to be flexible, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like you have to be flexible, you have to be adaptable. Uh, so for me, I was adaptable when, when, when certain issues continue to arise, I pivoted quickly and that was my niche. And it remained my niche and it became a very um, successful niche. Uh, and I love it passionately. And uh, it's very much a part of my my life. So I don't really even see it as work really, other than the skill set that I use, right? So, I mean, I think that's the long and the short of it. I can't really say that I, I sought it out, but for me, you know what I mean? Like, what does it mean to even be a lawyer, right? Like you have to be able to uh, have the vision and the knowledge and, and the ability to draw out issues right to seek out issues that maybe are not relevant or particularly in the limelight for somebody else right Uh, so with the skill set that you have you for me I I recognize that there was issues in it right so when I was taking on these these issues I was taking them on because I recognize as a lawyer that these are issues that um, are going to need attention so then I just kind of focused on it.
0: Absolutely. And thanks for sharing that. And I, there was something I particularly picked up on your answer, which was, you know, the ability to be flexible and pivot to, to a niche. Because uh, now when we talk about, you know, general entrepreneurship as a whole, which, you know, you're an entrepreneur in, in a way, even though you're a lawyer, uh, mm-hmm. a lot of people, I think, uh, perhaps, you know, focus on trying to appeal to uh, too big of a, a, a demography or too big of a type of people and sometimes you feel very apprehensive or you feel very nervous about you know drilling down and centralizing or finding a smaller core of people um, but would you say that you know for you to be successful as a business owner you have to find that little small demographic where you, you can make the most impact on instead of just focusing on too big of a crowd trying to sell to everybody what are your thoughts on that
1: for me, yes, right. I, I think that there's, there's a lot of weight behind the concept of you can't be everything to everyone, right. You, you, just, you just can't be everything to everyone. So, um, you know, focusing on what you're really good at um, is, is, is probably a really important pillar for success, right. I, I think that if you, can, if you can be the expert in something and really be the expert in it, be the go-to person for a certain thing, uh, of course, uh, like that would definitely lead you to some form of success. And again, you know, who defines success as what, that's up to you. Um, I personally define it probably most different than most other people, but for, for whatever it's worth, whatever you feel is successful. So yes, uh, I think niches are really great. I think the uh, the ability to be adaptable and flexible are critically important for any entrepreneur. Uh, I think to continue your education and knowledge um, constantly, make sure you are up and on top of what is coming out in your industry, whether it, it relates to you or, or not, um, You know, because you always wanna know what you have to do, but also what the opposition is doing. Uh, that goes for politics, that goes for business, that goes for law.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> no matter
1: what, you, you need to know what the other people are doing, mm-hmm. right? Um, not to follow them, or to be like them, but to recognize where the gaps are, and maybe you can fill them.
0: For sure. And just for our listeners listening as you know, you were describing and explaining uh, your thoughts on niching down and narrowing down what you're good at. I, I started, I was thinking about a problem I was uh, uh, has been on my mind over the last couple of months, which is uh, you know specialization versus generalization uh, in Korea. And the reason why I was thinking about this is, you know, when the pandemic hit, a lot of people who were most affected were people who were too specialized. So even on, on one hand, you have to specialize in your niche, but you don't want to over-specialize and not be able to do anything else I feel like in yourself as a as a lawyer I feel like you can still take on all the problems at least you started out with dealing with your everyday doctors and lawyers uh, doctors and uh, engineers and all types of professionals but what would you say is finding out how to find that balance where you know of course you want to find your crowd and people you can speak to because you can't speak to everybody but at the same time not limiting yourself in such a way where when the pandemic hits you can make that easy pivot. what are your thoughts on on, on that
1: yeah so I I think any and it, you know and I'm going to speak just a bit more generally right because I think that um I I, I always find it you know difficult to always just talk about law because I do so many other things right so um I I think we take four steps back you know what is the world that we're living in right now even prior to the pandemic uh we live in a world that the majority of our quote unquote generation right are this this group of people so i.e not our parents um we all have the ability most of us even if we haven't done it we're thinking about it in some capacity Um, it's gig economy right like you're kind of you got a few side things going all the time and so for me I, i never really thought of it that way at all I didn't think, okay, well, if I specialize in law, blah, 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 this will happen, that will happen. For me, I know that there's other, um, you know, my income is diversified enough that if I lost it here, I would be able to make it up here. So I guess my answer to your question is yeah, you can be generalized. Maybe you don't need to be generalized in one industry, right? Maybe, maybe, maybe the key is uh, in the world that we live in, in the world that we're trying to survive in right now is. Um, you know, figure out what your what your skill set is, right? Um, What can you leverage? What what knowledge base, what skills, what attitudes, what aptitudes? uh, What do you have that you can leverage and kind of use it for different industries? Maybe not everything has to be a lot, you know, maybe I generalized in some sort of consulting, and then that pivoted into something different. So for me, I mean, I'm super broad about that. Right. I, I just don't I'm not a one. I just don't believe in one job. I don't think that we we're, we're built for in this type of world. Uh, you're only surviving off of one nine to five job. We're, we're not a parent's generation. Right. We're just a completely different universe. So going back to my adaption and flexibility, if you're unable to do that, you're going to get hit. You know, you're going to get hit. Right. Those of us who had diversified incomes. You know, we may have lost it one way, but we were able to kind of pick up or survive in a different way. Right? So. I mean, that would be my long
0: and short answer. <laughs> Thank you for your insight. I think that's no, that really hit the nail on the head. Yeah, uh, We have to diversify income. We have to have some specific niches, uh, if possible, more than one, because that will help you to be more flexible if something happens to one side. Um, I think I, I read somewhere that over our lifetimes, we generally have anywhere between four to five separate uh, Distinctly uh, distinct careers over a lifetime and especially for people who are maybe in university and I just uh, worried what do I want to do for my life it's don't worry about it too much because what you're probably doing right now is most likely not what you will end up
1: probably with. not going to be what you end up
0: yeah mm-hmm. there's going to be opportunities and the last piece of question I want to ask based off of your career in law is you of course have your own firm and uh, what was that journey like you know from going to a, a law student you know you started uh, well, I guess you would say later on than you're a regular person. And now you're a partner at a law firm and you have your own practice. Uh, For someone who is aspiring to have their own practice or, you know, maybe they want to have their own uh, practice, whether they're dentist whether they're a doctor or, you know, it could be in different areas. What was that process like uh, having your own practice as a professional?
1: Yeah, for me, it was really different, right? So even, um, even the setup of our business right now um, is is quite different, right? So basically, um, I graduated, I got called to the bar, and I think it was May, by July, I was running for leader, by October, I was leader of the party, you know what I mean, so my, yeah, so I I had a completely different universe, and so when I left politics, I think I left in maybe May or June or something, and then literally two weeks later, I I opened the, open the practice. Um, so one thing I would say for anyone, um, and generally, I think this again goes for all business, right? Whether you're a professional, whether you're in school right now, um, seek out knowledge, right? And you do not need to know everything, right? There are people who can help you do things and um, uh, using that expertise, right? So for, for most of us, um, you know, you have bookkeepers, you have all of these, all of these different groups of people. Now, that's a general statement. For me personally, um, I streamlined everything. Okay, so for my first and two years, business is hard. So anyone who's listening, if you even had a big business or a small business, or if you tried it, you know for a fact, it is very difficult, right? It, the first two years are incredibly hard no matter what, because you're just trying to get your, um, your, yourself moving. Um, so in those times, you know, for me, it was, and maybe people will agree with that or not. For me, I streamlined everything, right? I did everything myself. I did not uh, bring in any second or third party until I was two years in and I knew that I couldn't manage it. Right. So again, it comes to the fact of knowing who you are, knowing what your capabilities are, uh, and be honest with yourself. You know, if you are unable to do something, don't play the game. (laughs) don't take the risks you know bring on somebody uh, who can help you help you fulfill whatever need it is uh for law it's a lot of like the bookkeeping stuff um the practice itself is in our head right or we know how to seek out the answers that we need but uh it's the it's the regulatory stuff that is the stuff that we need eyes on who are for people to make sure that we're doing it correctly right Mm. because again we we serve the public we are we have to we're very very careful with um, you know, how we deal with the public and, um, and we have a regulatory body that makes sure that we are doing well.
0: For sure. Yeah. Thanks for the answer. And from what I'm hearing from you, for our listeners, you know, you have to be willing to grind (laughs) uh, for at least two years uh, to just kind of put in the hard work. I I definitely uh, understand where you're coming from in my first business as well. My first day was particularly a hard, difficult grind and journey, and then it got better and better. And then number two is uh, know when you you need to ask for help and have someone come in to help you out. But again, be willing to do most things by yourself, uh, save money, and also to just... uh, Again, that's get a start, and then no one to delegate. Uh, in the, at some point, right?
1: Yeah, and also just remember, like when you're doing things things yourself, and again, this would not apply to every single industry, right? But for us, when you're doing things yourself, um, you learn. You learn, mm. right? And those nuances will help you in the future, right? They will help you again build. And you do need to know the stuff, whether or not you've outsourced it or not, because mm. you still have to do the oversight. Right, sure. so you at least didn't have to know a minimal, uh, have a minimum understanding of, of those things.
0: For sure, sure. yeah. And uh, let's uh, make a bit of a pivot here to your career in politics. I know you kind of touched about it a little bit, but uh, being the uh, the leader, the leader of a, of a provincial party is no small feat. Uh, how did that come about, and what was that like? What was that experience like? <laughs>
1: um, yeah, no, it was, it, it is, was, and it will always be a ma- uh, uh, an incredible part of my life. Uh, um, you know, it was a learning experience for me. How did I get there? I don't really know what the answer to that is. I, I, I don't know. You know, I'm a, I'm an action person. You know, I'm an opportunity person. You know, I don't uh, really shy away from much. Uh, most things I'll look at and I'll be like, mm, I can do it and then I'll, I'll go do it. That's not to say, however, because again, um, you know, it's an incredibly important position, right? Um, Um, and there's a lot of vulnerability personally and there's a lot of people who are vulnerable coming to you for stuff so that's not to say that I didn't take the role uh, once I was in it um, incredibly seriously Um, it was but how I got there was kind of you know uh, I've always been a part involved in politics I just took the leap at a very young age Um, I think the second part of your question was uh, how was it Mm -hmm. Um, you know no different than any other woman of color in a leadership role basically is is the easy answer to that um i know that um in hindsight i probably accepted more than i should have right Mm -hmm. um and i probably uh i'm trying to think of the best way to say this i probably minimized myself Mm. in a lot of ways to make other people feel good and i think that uh, you know, you probably have a lot of, you know, young women who are either in, you know, moving up the ladder in their jobs or up the businesses or in their careers or in boards or whatever else, you know, that's a really kind of, if I could give any piece of advice is, um, you know, you gotta, you gotta be big, <laughs> you know what I mean? And I don't mean physically big, but I mean that you need to be big. You need to take up that space because, Uh, there are a lot of people who will always try to kind of squish you down um, and minimize what you're saying or minimize the value of what you're saying. And uh, that's where the problem lies. Right. Mm. Um, It was a great experience. I have no, I have no regrets. Um, I'll probably do it again one day. Um, But, you know, it's just a part of life. You do it. Uh, Definitely very unique. Mm. Learned a lot.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, I, I do remember a number of times, you know, driving, uh, I can't remember where I was driving to or from, but I remember hearing your voice a couple of times. And I'm like, that's a very unique voice in, in politics. And I'm a, a politics junkie myself. So I was like, who is this lady? I got to go research. And I found a lot about you. And I was very inspired by your story. Uh, but I uh, for someone who is uh, thinking of, especially, let's say, you know, women of color, a uh, minority who is thinking of taking a position in politics. And it's funny thing that I had uh, recently on this show, Uzuma Asogara. I'm not sure if you're familiar with them. Uh, yeah, but, you know, it's very encouraging to see people like you and I taking some of these leadership roles in politics. If there's someone like you and I who, you know, an immigrants or uh, a minority trying to take on uh, something as monumental as this, what would you advise be to them if you were to advise yourself uh, you know, from a, a couple of years ago? What would you mm. tell yourself?
1: It's a great question. Mm. Um, yeah. And, and I think that if there's a difference between, and I just want to kind of acknowledge this, I think that there's um, there's always a difference. And I'm saying this for, for a specific reason. There's always a difference between <clears throat> um, individuals or women of color in not bottom roles, but not leadership roles, right? So uh, you'll see women as, you know, as doctors, but perhaps not the decision makers or chairs or blah blah blah. You'll see a lot of women of color in nursing, but they're not the nurse in charge kind of deal, right? So there's this concept, and I and I talk about it often when I'm talking about diversity, and I'm and also when I'm talking about uh, intersectional intersectional issues, right? It's this it's this concept that um, basically yes, there may be starting. To have like you may start to have women of color in certain areas, mm. but what you don't have is them at the top. and so for me I went from zero to the top right to the decision making issue. Um, and so for people like for like Uzma and, and Nahani and Bernadette and like all these amazing women who are just killing it right um, those are the women you want to see in those leadership positions. Right. Those are the ones you want to see in those decision making positions. So mm. um, they're they're incredibly all inspiring. Um, advice I'd give myself is, uh, I don't even know what I'd give myself, to be honest with you. I, I don't know. I, I think that um, I was as genuine as I could have been at the time. And, and I don't think anything's really changed about me from that moment to now. Mm. I'm still exactly the same person, um, other than the fact that I'm probably a bit more uh, cautious of who's around me. You know what I mean? And I I think I'm more able to recognize uh, when something is a gender issue, a race issue, or just a skill set issue, right? right? So at that time in my world, I I believed that perhaps I didn't have the skill set. Leaving it, now I know it was was not the skill set. It was more about other issues, right? Yeah. yeah, But again, learning, you got to figure it out and roam through it.
0: Sure. And uh, one thing I've learned just that in the the time I've come to know you is action. Uh, At the end of the day, if you want to achieve any or accomplish anything great or monumental, uh, you have to just take seize initiative and just do it and just uh, force the issue, if you will, just like your story. And that's something I've learned time and time again. You don't have to be perfect. A lot of people wait to have all the perfect degree, everything lined up properly, but just doing it is always that
1: first step, right? Right. And also, if I could just jump in, um, being this, this concept of being perfect will be your biggest, biggest hindrance. Mm. It will be the thing that you have in your mind that will hold you back from doing what you need to do. You do not need to be perfect. What you need is the desire and the passion and the ability to seek out that knowledge.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. Uh, thanks for uh, sharing that insight. It's very, very cool to talk to someone who's been uh, in that phase and uh, and hearing from from your experience. Now you've had you've touched on a lot of uh, issues on uh, uh, diversity, inclusion, and inter- intersectional issues. What would you say, like, for someone who is kind of just new to hearing about intersectional issues, what does that really mean? And how do you define that?
1: Okay. (laughs) So basically, um, and I would, and I would also, you know, I guess, I guess the one easy thing I could really say is I I would, I would encourage people, I have a TED talk that I did right after I left politics um, on cons, and I didn't call it intersectionalism, right, Mm. but I, but it's basically about that. It's these, it's these different various, you know, we'll call them walls that come up, right, so um, you know, whether it's a gender issue, whether it's your sexuality, whether it's uh, the color of your skin, whether it's, it's your religion, whatever, all of these things, you know, for me, um, why I became passionate about intersectionality is that every time I would have an issue, okay, you know, there was a racial issue about, okay, she's, she's you know, she's a terrorist, she's, she's a pack, she's all these things. And I'm being very blunt, right? So you'll never find me tiptoeing around these things. Um, if I overcame that stuff, then it'd be like, well, okay, but she's also a Muslim, so she must be, you know, like there's all of these things, right? And um, this concept is is basically, it not everything's cookie cutter and not everything to do with gender equality is about white women. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, they're there, they're allies, But I think that there needs to be a very clear distinction between um, within battles for equality, there are other issues. And those other issues are what I refer to when I'm talking about that intersectionality, right? Yes, we will all have the gender issue, but within that gender issue, some may have uh, issues of, you know, uh, religious issues, some may have, um, you know, able it like able issues right so there's a whole host of things that will come up um, and that's what we're talking about is to just really um shine a light on the fact that not everything is again cookie cutter you know it's not just two 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 pieces of a puzzle and one group all falls in it well there's many more but so for 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 your woman you know like if you have to be able to or others who are your allies should be able to recognize the fact that there's other issues within our circle, quote-unquote. Right,
0: unquote. so it's really it understanding. Yeah, so the we, nuances, right?
1: Yeah, it's not, it's not the, it's not the, um, I mean, it's probably not the best example, but I'm just trying to kind of make it as simple as possible. It's just the fact that it's not all cookie cutter. You know, sure. Um, there's, there's a lot of other, uh, issues that my people are visible minority people who are Muslim just Islamophobia people who are indigenous indigenous women have um, There's all these different things within gender battles within mm. gender equality within that concept that we are dealing with mm. yeah. So why does that matter? Sorry? I have to finish this because it's really important. Why does that matter? because if the people who are making decisions on top are not recognizing our challenges then you really haven't done justice to everybody. Mm-hmm. You've really only done it to your little group of people. So that's why that's kind of where it comes into play.
0: For sure, and uh, for a lot of people who don't think, you know, who think, oh, no, race. People who are you not know, talking about issues of race or uh, or any sort of uh, challenge like that. They're just trying to, uh, you know cause noise or whatever it is they associate with that, it's very important based on, on the reason you gave. If people who are making decisions that affect the lives of people who are dealing with those issues, if they're not aware of those issues, then they're, whether by design or not, they're doing the service to those set sort of people. Oh, yeah. And uh, that is very unfair to them. And that is why it's very important to raise awareness for over issues like that.
1: Right. and and raising awareness and I guess, you know, and I, and I apologize, I'm, I'm super blunt about stuff like this. I have no, you know, and, and, and I say this with, with all due respect. Um, we live in a country where the population is very diverse and it continues to be diverse. And there will be times where you will find that there's just a lot of differences in, in, in what makes up Our country right um and when you are not so let's just take it from an economical perspective or a governance perspective or a international issues perspective um you cannot leave groups of people out of decision making when they're the ones that your decisions affect (laughs) Sure. <laughs> like you cannot talk about poverty, you know, sitting in like you know your ivory tower, basically, you know, twiddling your thumbs, never having seen it, known about it, asked about it, um, and think that your 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 decision is really the best decision possible. Most likely, your decision is a decent decision, but it's probably going to cost you a lot more money. Mm. it's probably not based on evidence. Um, And I would assure you that if you went right to the grassroots level, you would probably get the most efficient, effective, -effective, cost-effective, you know, humanitarian perspective that was actually correct for everybody.
0: For sure. And for someone who is in a position like this, where this is, uh, they're making a decision that affects people out of their own group. So people who are, you know, challenged with that, poverty or uh, sexual orientation or whatever, I, my, my thought, I would say the first step for them is to listen first, is to say, okay, let's listen to what you have to say and generally uh, listen. Would you say that's a first step or would you be that first step for for, for those in the situation?
1: Yeah, and listening requires listening. So I don't mean listening, <laughs> for the purpose of, you know, oh, I've now consulted and now I'm going to go make any decision I want. But I did have that coffee with that group of people. So it's all good. That's not, that's not listening. Um, You know, and and I don't even know if it's listening. I I perhaps maybe don't agree if it's simply listening. I I maybe think it's um, more groups of people who have you know what, simple answer, boards, decision making groups, chairs, leaders need to be more, more diverse.
0: For sure. I mean, that would be the obvious perfect answer, but we both know that that will take some time uh, before we get there. But, you know, when people like yourself are act, uh, advocating for issues, and you are in leadership positions, and we're having more and more people like the Uzumahs of the world uh, in at those tables, then of course, that makes life a little better. Now, uh, I'm not sure if you had a point to make on that before I moved on.
1: Oh, no, uh, but I was going to say, yeah, you know, you're, you're, you're correct in that it will take time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think uh, we live in a world where you have a generation coming up that truly are allies. Sure. Right. So I think that uh, a lot of the battles we are facing perhaps came from a lot of different generations. Uh, you know, I'm a hopeful individual. I think that a lot of people um, who are in our realm, you know, uh, you know, we are employed with, or we're friends with, or we Mm. engage with, I think that there's a lot of opportunity for discussions to be had there. So um, people are supporting each other.
0: For sure. And you know, on that note, you know, we, we, we're we shooting this episode uh, uh, 1st of January, 2021. Uh, 2020 was quite a turbulent year, but one of the highlights of of the year was the massive conversation around all of these issues we've been talking about. Uh, based on considering the fact that you are sort of in that arena, you're living in that space, both through your work and through your passion, would you say that moved that uh, th- the whole 2020 movement on race inclusion, do you think that moved the dial a little bit in terms of you know, having that conversation, getting people uh, to be more and more aware of the issues, how was how impactful was uh, some of 2020 uh, to what you're passionate about?
1: Yeah, I think I think absolutely. I think that there um, did it move the dial. Uh, I, it did. It, mm-hmm. it definitely did. I think it would be it'd be silly to say no, it did not. Uh, I think that the issue becomes right after something like. Um, you know, and we saw this during Idle the More, Idle the More, Black Lives Matter, you know, anything that's against Islamophobia right now or whatever's happening uh, in, in, the, in that racial fear and those in that sphere, um, it's the continuous pushing it. Right. So, um, yes, absolutely erased it, but we can't just let up. Sure. Right. So you have to keep going and you have to keep advocating and you have to keep having those really difficult discussions. Mm. Um, yes, it's uncomfortable. Okay. No one, nobody said that this wasn't uncomfortable. It's very uncomfortable to have race issues. I'm sure some of your audience right now is probably rolling their eyes. Oh, here we go again. And that's fine. And you know, what? we understand that everybody understands that, but there's nothing wrong with working together mm. and creating better worlds for all of us, because at the end of the day, you know, when one group does better, everybody does better.
0: Exactly. Exactly. That's
1: just, that's just, even even if that's the only thing you will agree with, even if that's, if you're a person who just doesn't believe that racial issues exist, even if that's the only thing you believe in is that one group does better, we will all do better. Sure. That should be motivation enough for you to be like, all right, what do we have to do here? hmm
0: especially in a country as very diverse as Canada is, uh, it definitely uh, makes a, a, bit, a difference, for sure. Now, I want to change uh, move our conversation a little bit uh, into uh, what I call soft skills, emotional intelligence. Um, now, based off of our conversation, you've demonstrated some of those skills and from your life in politics, and I'm sharing sure your work uh, with people who are facing you know, pain in some sort of way, whether it's true racism, true um, uh, exclusion at some level, whether as a result of them being women or whatever it is, uh, I feel like you've had to use some of the skills to understand, uh, empathize, and to then uh, uh, help them out. What would you say is the role of these soft skills in career success? Whether you're in a lawyer, whether you're a doctor, whether you're a business owner, what are your thoughts on 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 the importance of the skills?
1: What's really interesting is um, pre-pandemic, Mm-hmm. It was important. It was important. We, 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 I think that as leaders will always recognize it, mm-hmm. right? Leader, for leadership or whether you are a leader or whether you're in a leadership role, you will always recognize the fact that those are critical skills, uh, understanding how to speak to people, the empathy, the, the ability to really engage in a conversation so the other person can put their trust in you, um, whether you're a politician, whether you're a lawyer, whether you're a leader, you're, it's, it's a crux of your job. Really, because without that, you can't really gain somebody's trust. Um, But I would also, but I think post-pandemic is really the question. Um, I think so much will change and so much has changed that I think post-pandemic, those soft skills, um, you know, the fact that we're even calling them soft skills. uh, No, um, I would literally unequivocally say um, these are types of skills now after a pandemic, probably leading up to the pandemic, they need to be um, in schools. Like we need to be teaching our kids that it is okay to fail. And when you fail, this will be your reaction to it, right? I think that what we've done in our educational systems and I don't remember or know the history of why we got to this point is that no one's allowed to fail anymore, right? You're not allowed to tell a student that they failed or they had this issue, or they had that issue. Um, whereas when we were kids, which is probably why we do have emotional or we do have that soft skill. When we were kids, um, we did fit. We were told, we did have to learn those skill set, And I don't know if the generation coming up is learning those skills. You need to learn empathy. You need to figure out uh, how you're gonna deal with challenges. How are, how, what is resilience? You know, if, if the pandemic has taught us anything, it's how to be resilient. You know, if you have not taught an entire generation of people the value of learning re- uh, resilience. You know, you're, we're going to have problems, right? So, so I, for me, I even the even the concept of soft skills. Um, I just don't even like the terminology surrounding it. These are essential skills. Uh, these should be in every school, in every family. They should be a core of who you are as a human being. Learn those skills because they are going to help you in the future. Yeah, for sure. just, just very basic stuff. They are indeed.
0: Yeah, it's funny because you're not the first person who said, David, I don't like you characterizing the skills as soft skills because they are really hard skills. They're very, very crucial for success. Uh, but I still keep reverting to my whole habits of calling them soft skills. So maybe I'll change that moving forward. But when I want to think re-buying. about it, what was that? I'm like Let's redefine it. Let's redefine it. Yeah. I, I There was a word someone used and now I forget. But when it comes to these skills, w- one of the things that I think is, is really crucial and is at the root of everything is, is you know, the concept of self-awareness. Because self-awareness really is where everything starts. If you have uh, an understanding of who you are and you're able to have that internal dialogue of understanding yourself, you really then you know, revibrates to everything else, you're able to practice resilience, you're able to know when you need help, you're able to be vulnerable, you're able to practice empathy. Um, But in your, your, uh, based on on that concept of self-awareness, is that something you've come across before? Is that something you think is crucial? And how have you grown that skill uh, in awareness over over the years?
1: So, I'm gonna try to say this as, (laughs) as appropriately as possible. Um, there's a lot of, um, you know, and uh, I can only speak to us as a group of people when, maybe perhaps a lot of Eastern countries, right? I can only speak to what I know. I know that in a lot of Eastern countries and a lot of immigrants don't come from Eastern, con- um, Eastern countries, um, because we are so taught, um, whether it's like a, like a religiously or culturally or whatever it is because we're so taught about our ancestors okay because we're so taught about our ancestors and where we came from and who we are and all that stuff it is very difficult actually to not be self-aware right because you know where you came from you know what you're carrying you know what your responsibilities are in life i'm not talking about in careers as a human being what are your principles what are your value systems um you know, what, who are you as a human being, you know, so for me, I think that there's a big gap between people knowing who they are, how could you have self-awareness, if you don't even recognize what your own values are, if you don't even know who you are, you know, and that could be anything, you can define who you are in any which way you want, but for me, I I really think that it's about self-reflection figuring out who you are and stuff. what's what's like what are your non-negotiables you know I used to talk about this in politics all the time like what are your non-negotiables what are your things that you will not negotiate on right um, and they may be related to your morals they may be related to your ethics they may be related to your decision making process uh, they may be related to how much money you're going to give out at the end of every month based on what you've made whatever it is like for us it's a part of our culture right we know that we have to give 10 percent of all of our income at the blah 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 we have them embedded in who we are Um, but I think that that helps you become self-aware because I think what we're talking really about is conscious living you see what I'm saying we're not consciously or a lot of us are not consciously uh consciously making decisions we're kind of in a rat race a bit right okay well this will get me through tomorrow let me make that decision and what you really need is and I hope perhaps during COVID, people have taken that time to learn.
0: Mm, Absolutely. For sure. And I do like the way you really describe uh, self-awareness as conscious living, because really that's what it is. It's uh, not letting life dictate how you live or I guess everything around you dictating how you live, but being intentional about how you live your life based off of your values, what is important to you. And that could be anything you have to decide those things. Uh, The second area of uh, this skills, emotional intelligence, if you will, you know, self-awareness, the other part is self-control. So on one end, you know, you know yourself, you know your values. It doesn't mean that the world necessarily agree with all of that. And a lot of things are going to come back, come at you that, you know, will, will seek to get a reaction from you negative or positive and especially for yourself in politics that's like a, a classic political game right. uh, and uh you know in, even in any career they when you're facing people there's always going to be that element of you know, people pissing you off and you know things emotions kind of just uh riling up how do you uh approach the idea of self-control and, and being able to keep those uh, toxic emotions under control to achieve your long-term goals what are your thoughts on that
1: you know what, there's this book by Eckhart Tolle, um, uh, Power of Now. It's the Power of Now. So that book, because I have a personality that I actually do have, or did have um, a lot of issues, um, regardless of how self-aware I was, with, you know, not reacting what would be perceived and again there's the whole gender issue around this but what was being perceived as aggressive you know meanwhile i was just asserting me i was asserting who i was but obviously we're not gonna get into the labels and all that stuff because it's a whole different story for a whole different day however um what i did find was i i really found that book very very helpful uh yeah so it's The power of now by eckhart tolle it's an older book and it's um you know it's kind of revived itself and in, in the past few years, and um, he really does talk about ego. So um, what, what happens when you are truly aware of yourself is you come to a point of being neutral. <laughs> and, and I know it doesn't make sense, like you have to read a lot about it, right? But, um, but you, you do, you come to a place where you're neutral, right? You, you actually are not reacting from a place of ego. You're actually just reacting from a place of facts. Um, I'm telling you, it's hard. Let's not pretend that this is not a, you know, a journey in itself. And uh, you will probably fail five times out of 10, you know, and that's okay, right? But at least let's try to get on that journey. I've tried. I'm not going to lie. It's quite difficult, you know, because... Uh, Your ego will tell you, oh, well, you know, this person's offending me, or this person is doing this to me, or blah, blah, blah. So you just have to learn. Uh, Very different, very challenging. Um, I really can't speak on it, because I'm still in my journey.
0: Mm, For sure. Yeah, I think what I hear from you, I think it's related to another that theme that has been on my mind over the last couple of months, which is stoicism, right? And mm-hmm. stoicism is all about focusing on what you can control, focusing on uh, what is under your immediate control. Because you know, when life comes at you, when people come at you, uh, they bring all the emotional garbage and you really can't control things coming at you. What you can control is your reaction, what you think, how you approach situations. And I think I, I like that idea of uh, that you were describing there.
1: Yeah, I mean, see, I would be, I have to, I have to, (laughs) because I have a responsibility, I feel at times. Um, Let's not pretend Mm. uh, for this moment in time that if you are a brown girl, black man, indigenous woman or man, that if you react to things in a certain way, it will not spiral or have an effect that perhaps you did not want. Uh, so coming back to the world that we live in, right? All this stuff is interconnected. You know, I can tell you. Um, if I'll use my brothers as an example, um, you know, my brother goes to superstore. I'm using this as an example, and uh, you know, pulls out his phone and trips over something, and somebody thinks he's attacking them or whatever right? You think that scenario is going to go very well? No, it's not. So for us, us, um, that self-control at times can be life or death, right? It could be you're in jail, uh, you've gotten arrested, uh, your face is plastered over everything before they even have the evidence. So I think it's... uh, again, none of these things are cookie cutter, right? So you have to really know who you are, know what you're about, know what your own self-control, how it's going to affect your your own life and your family's life.
0: For sure. And at at the same time also, you know, we can be uh, too overly cautious. You know, at, at the same time, we have to be unapologetic to being ourselves. Uh, you can't live life on uh, walking on, on eggshells all day. You have to sometimes still just be true to yourself and you know you can't control how other people feel. You can only control what you are doing and how you're approaching the water.
1: Right. And I think that the, the key there is just, you know, cautiously optimistic. Mm. Mm. Right. You mm. just you're cautious. But again, you talked about soft skills. OK, so like, is that not a soft skill to be able to read the room? It is it indeed. Is. It is. Right? So it is. It's, it's a soft skill to be able to go into a scenario um, and recognize by body language, by the way somebody is looking at you, by the words they're maybe using, <clears throat> whether or not you want to remain in this space or you want to remove yourself from that space and, again, be cautious. There's Absolutely. nothing wrong with removing yourself. So for me, if I felt with my bros, I'd be like, hey, just get yourself out of that situation. It's not you, you can't, in that moment, change somebody's perception of you. No,
0: no. Fantastic conversation, rainer Last question I have for you. We've, we had 51 minutes. <laughs> it's gone by so quickly. Um, But we're in 2021. What are your hopes? What are your aspirations uh, for this new year? Uh, What's what's in your mind as we approach 2021? Well, we're in 2021.
1: Yeah. You know, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm really just uh, going to continue doing what I'm doing. You know, I'm doing a six series on intersectional uh, feminism prior to doing a panel, like a national panel uh, on the issue post-COVID uh, on February 2nd. So, um, you know, if anyone wants to follow along, just follow me on Instagram and you'll see the, it'll be live on there. Hmm. So I'll be doing that. A lot of really great discussion around, around that. Uh, practice, I'm going to probably scale down a little bit so I can do other things um yeah uh wish to travel i just want to go back to my beaches and you know sit there and you know ponder the world uh last year definitely was very difficult for a lot of people but uh you know i hope people found who they were uh reconnected with who they were um took the time to learn about why something like this could would have happened Uh, You know, the universe always has a way of telling you things and perhaps this was um, our lesson to just, you know, let's step back, you know, and uh, without water, land, air, we really don't have much. So perhaps our goal for 2021 and the next next decade is, you know, climate, Let's, let's fix our world and let's fix our children and let's fix the people around us and let's minimize hate, you know.
0: Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, this uh, has been a fascinating conversation. Thanks for coming on the show. I've enjoyed listening to your insights and just getting a a little peek behind uh, the phenomenon of uh, Rena Bukhari. So thanks for coming on the show.
1: You're so welcome. I had a great time. Thanks so much.
0: Excellent. Thanks.